1: Except City. I am your host Joe Ucello. Sir Bob Mike Orr my co-host Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 378 of Low Limit Football on this 29th of January, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Usalo, and tonight, Weston McKinney completes a loan move from Juventus to Leeds United. Does this signal the beginning of a fire sale for Juventus? Milan Skriniar set to join PSG from Inter this summer after a free transfer. The 2024 Copa America will be held in the United States after an agreement between CONCACAF and CONMACAF. Ball. Marcelo Bielsa is rumored to be a candidate to be the next U.S. men's national team head coach. We're going to discuss what that could look like and the fallout in U.S. soccer this week. And the best title race got even tighter as Bayern Munich drops points to Eintracht Frankfurt on the weekend. We'll discuss that and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Jack Grimsey, the head of social media for OS Studios, will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? I'm doing well, Joe. Doing well.
2: Obviously, we are getting into the nitty-gritty of the end of the month. Obviously, some transfers that have been going on all across the world, and you know, we're it's it's kind of crazy to see that we're right towards the end of it now. We're heading into another new month.
1: Yeah, how much more money can the Super League spend? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Sorry, sorry. too soon. Sorry. Uh, Yeah it's it's been it's been a a crazy um winter window. You know, bigger I think than we thought. Usually winter windows are very, very, not very quiet, but you don't see a ton of moves or a ton of money spent. This one has been very, very peculiar. Um, Thank you, Chelsea Football Club, I guess. Uh, My friend uh, Jerome, uh, he texted me a picture the other day of this long park bench that went just down an entire walkway, and he said, this is the bench at Chelsea Football Club for next season because you're going to need all that room to seat all those players. Um, His hope is that... uh, Federico Chiesa comes over to Chelsea in this window I told him no chance but you never know I mean you know McKenna Weston McKinney moves on a loan deal that could turn into a a obligation to buy for almost 40 million euro you never know these days this could be a fire sale like I said in the uh, in the beginning of the show so let's uh, let's get into the show proper Um, we had a great time with Jack Grimsey joining us uh, to talk a bunch of stuff and I want to definitely get to that and I know we've got some good topics to talk about but we have a trivia question, my friend, and it is your honor this week. So if you wouldn't mind laying it on us.
2: Absolutely. So it's going to be a U.S. soccer kind of question. It's going to be interesting given the fact that we spoke about him. Hmm. Paxton Aronson and his brother, Brendan, become the latest set of brothers to appear for the U.S. national team. With that, how many t- other times has that happened in U.S. soccer history? All right. Where a set of brothers have represented the United States.
1: Good question. Good question. Um, And, and, you know, and i made that bold prediction that somewhere between now and the 2030 World Cup, um, and I told you this off air, so I might as well make it on air now, uh, that between now and the 2030 World Cup in a meaningful match, both Paxton and Brendan Aronson will start for the U.S. men's national team in a meaningful match. So not a friendly, not camp cupcake or something like that in a meaningful match, like a qualifier World Cup match copa america that we just mentioned in the monologue those two brothers will start for the u.s men's national team that's my bold prediction um and it's a great question so let's uh you know we'll give you the answer for it at the uh at the end of the show let's jump into opening thoughts and opening thoughts is uh the u.s men's national team obviously we've had what uh is commonly referred to as camp cupcake the january um international window where we see a, a lot of um Second, uh, second tier players brought in. We've seen players step up and into major roles from this particular camp, uh, in years past. But uh, again, this weekend we saw them, uh, lose two, one to Serbia and then draw nil, nil against, um, Colombia on the weekend. Uh, a couple of bright spots for me, uh, Brandon Vasquez from FC Cincinnati, I thought had a great little window here. Uh, the aforementioned Paxson Aronson, I thought played very well also, um, I think you got what you would normally get out of, of Walker Zimmerman, but then I think there were some players that kind of had their stock uh, hurt a little bit. Uh, for me, uh, you know, Jesus Ferreira against Colombia was, was unimpressive, in my opinion. Um, I didn't think Aaron Long played well, ago, although SofaScore thinks differently. But, uh, you know, there were a couple of players that I thought were were down, and I thought there were a couple of players that were up uh, in this window. What are your thoughts on, on this window? How much How much stock do you put into this window, Roberto?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. I think there the really is kind of um, a weird one to say, honestly. But I kind of want to hear your thoughts, actually. I kind of want to set that up to you.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you know, for me, you, you got Gaga Slonina played in the first match uh, against Serbia. I thought he did reasonably well. Um, you know, Sean Johnson in the second match I didn't concede a goal. And that's fine. There, were, you know, the the second match was was a much more open ended affair, uh, a lot mm-hmm. more attacking, but really, a lot more attacking in the middle third of the of the pitch. Um, for for me, there weren't a ton of um, opportunities created. Uh, I thought Matthew Hoppy, uh, you know, was was okay. Um, he was not. He was not great. I, I thought that his decision making was incredibly poor. But his individual talent uh, was was pretty good, so you know there's there's some hope for him. I, does did he up his stock? You know, given the given the players that are ahead of him, I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's going to break in over a guy like Joe Reyna or something like that. Um, you know, is he going to be a nice piece that maybe you see in the Gold Cup or something like that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I could see that happening, um, but I think he needs a little more time on the pitch uh, at a place like Nottingham Forest where he is where he's at right now. Uh, to, to, to play a little better. Again, I was impressed with Paxton Aronson. I was hoping, um, for, uh, Zendejas and Sonora to show more than what they did, but ultimately I was kind of flat on both of them. Uh, so we'll have to see how they progress. I mean, again, young kids too. So let's, let's not put a bunch of weight on their shoulders. Um you know and yeah, then I mean like and then no
2: just going into that, I mean like again, this isn't the best US side that you can have. And so sure. I think what it's gonna be interesting to see, and we kind of say this off air, is what kind of team can be made from the players that are at disposal, Because I think one of the things that I think US soccer thankfully has is depth. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that depth is good is a whole different story. But they have it. Yep. And one of the things that I think is going to be interesting for whoever the new manager is. I think is you know assuming that Berhalter leaves, is to figure out what is useful because you know this is going to be a a different cycle for a World Cup. You don't have to qualify, but you still have to play like the Nations League and maybe Copa America, like I said, Copa America, and all that kind of stuff. So I think the preparation will be very very different. And one of the things that I'm curious to see is like what is a, a useful and again, any talent in the world could come up in the next four years. It's happened before. It won't happen this it will happen this time around. So I think that's that's one of the things that I'm very much I guess looking forward to is like seeing what exactly um, is the useful talent that we need. And and these games are are important because yeah, maybe Maybe people don't see it as kind of like important because it's like, oh, we're playing the Serbian B side or the C side and then Colombia's B or C side. But no, that is that can go a long way, honestly, yeah. to, to see what your international career is going to be like.
1: Well, it's always, you know, we talked about depth just a second ago. Uh, you know, it's always about the next man up. Uh, what's the quality of the next man up coming into that spot? Because that 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 strengthens your team, right? If you can if you can pull a Timothy Weah and you plug in a Gio Reina or vice versa, you, you know, that's. That's that's great depth. And that is something that when you have to make that sub due to injury or discipline or whatever, because I know we've we've talked about that ad nauseum, uh, you know, that, that's that lends yourself to the strength of the team. So to have quality depth is, is really important. And you see many of these national teams have a, a ton of quality depth. So that is that is the next evolution. Now, who's in charge of that depth? Let's talk about that real quick, because um, we've heard rumor over the past a week or two that uh, Zinedine Zidane was uh, ultimately offered the U S men's national team job. He refused it. Um, I don't know why at this point, other than to say that there is some other job on the horizon that he wants that is, is coming to him Um, or he's just going to sit it out and wait for that French national team job and and be done with it. Um, But the rumors this week popped up that Marcelo Bielsa, El Loco himself is a candidate for the U S men's national team job. Now, you have to kind of take these two stories together because this is, I think, an interesting one because we saw Brian McBride step down um, from the U.S. men's national team uh, front office. We saw uh, Ernie Stewart this week leave the U.S. men's national team to go to um, PSV Eindhoven as their technical director. So he's left the technical position here at U.S. soccer this week. These were all pieces that um, were supportive of Greg Berhalter uh, and and were part of that search uh, for, for the next men's national team coach. Now that those pieces are gone, uh, I think it does open the door for somebody like uh, like a Bielsa or uh, Miguel Herrera who I think would, would be comical um, as the U.S. men's national team coach, but it opens it to Marcelo Gallardo, right? I mean, let, let, let's throw names out there that would have been yeah, previously... But
2: the, well, uh, we have to also go realistic as well. I don't think sure. that's the dream, but also we got to go realistic as well.
1: Sure, but I, but what I'm saying is that there, one of the main factors of Having the U.S. men's national team job when they hired Greg Berhalter was that, A, they had to speak English, right? B, they had to live in Chicago, okay? I don't think these are going to be part of the criteria anymore. And and so that's what I mean by it opens the world to anyone from Max Allegri to Hansi Flick to, you know, pick a name. Um, Andres Iniesta, Javi, uh, pick a name, Luis Enrique, it doesn't matter. You really open the scope of of the ability. So now for me, the head coach needs to be somebody that is capable of 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 coaching a U.S. men's national side, given the talent in the places that they have. Okay, so what do we have? We have great attacking pieces. Right, we 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 talk about Gio Reyna. We talk about the the difficulty deciding who that that next striker was, and not for nothing, over the weekend I think Brandon Vasquez kind of inserted his name a little bit into that potential spot. We talked about Jordan P. Fock, We talked about Josh Sargent. Um, you know, we we've, we've talked about so many different names there, um, but you need a coach that will get the best out of those players, and I think Bielsa is is a nice option there um, to do that. Now, again. With Bielsa, you get the headache of what is he doing? Is he staying? Is he quitting tomorrow? Who knows, right? That's the el loco part. But I think ultimately, if you can get him to stay and and drive through these uh these these particular times, then I think you've got a guy that is certainly capable of taking them to that next step. What do what are your thoughts on on either Bielsa? You know, obviously given the given the coaching search, I think we're going to get a better. Um, crop of candidates but what are your thoughts on Bielsa being that guy to take over yeah I mean I,
2: I think what we see from Bielsa is I think this is someone that is a disciplinarian so I think one of the things that I think is useful for this is we kind of see that sometimes with US players how there maybe there is that lack of discipline towards them we see that even with like Reyna even McKenney and it's fast and, and so many others I think someone like him would be kind of very much no nonsense into saying no these are my rules you have to abide by them and if you don't then you're on your way out And I think that's something that I think U.S. soccer would benefit from. But at the same time, I think he's very close emotionally to his squad. You could see in his past what he's done in in previous gigs, how much the players will, you know, run over a, a wall for him. And I think, you know, someone like them would be very useful for someone like, um, for U.S. soccer. Um, I think this is also a side that is very athletic. You know, maybe Mm -hmm. technically they're not in the top realm of it, but they are very athletic. They will give you 100% when it comes to stamina and pace, and you saw that. So I think that's something that Bills would like because he wants his teams to um, have all the effort being made in the final third, you know, know, pressing hard. And I think that's something that U.S. can benefit. Obviously, we have to see if these players are, are able to withstand the the uh, the rules that also would have but yeah no I think it's I think it's someone that would be ideal and you know like I said I think he's done previous gigs at previous uh, jobs that have shown that players have respected him and and have really developed as players Look no further than leads and how they've been in the past and look at them now still in the Premier league teams like Marseille um, you know uh, like a club, like many other clubs, you know, there is that kind of before and after with Bielsa and so I think mm. someone like him would probably inf would probably de- de- demonstrate a a an effort to, to help this U.S. side achieve what they want to achieve, and that is to have a successful World Cup on home soil.
1: And and this is a certainly a guy, Marcelo Bielsa, is a um, is a coach that is not unfamiliar with uh, coaching a, a national team. Uh, he was the helmet. He was at the helmet Chile for uh, I think five or six years. Yeah, um, yeah, for the
2: 2010 yeah. World Cup, and also for Argentina.
1: Yes, well. yes. So this is not somebody that is just. You know how we've we've seen coaches that are that are more more acclimated to being a club coach, right? Uh, Because they get the players day in and day out where the national team coach only gets them for windows. Um, But Bielsa knows how to do that. He knows how to do both. So I think that is a great thing. I think also that one of the keys of of Bielsa, we've seen the Bielsa tree, right? We always talk about these coaching trees where, you know, you have one guy at the top and then the the people that have come in through that person um, have always been successful as well. Bielsa is one of those guys, right? he's one of the heads of those trees. So I think having Bielsa would not only benefit the US men's national team on on the playing level, you know, on the pitch, 90 minutes in and out, but I think there's a future uh benefit to that to the to the crop of men's national team coaches that uh that would come out under Bielsa as well as long as he stayed for a significant amount of time, I think there would be a benefit there. Um I want to ask you one more quick question. Uh obviously like we said McBride, Ernie Stewart out. There was a, a bit of a changing of the old guard and the, the good old boys club at U S soccer over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we haven't seen anybody brought in yet to replace them, but do you think that, you know, with Cindy Parlo Cohn at the head of U uh, S soccer in general right now, is this a major opportunity to expand the horizons of U S soccer and take it to that next level where they are one of the, one of the contending, um, you know, nations in in world football.
2: I mean, it would be unwise for them to not to. Of course. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, having that opportunity to kind of clean house and and put in the names that you feel are useful enough to help your your country, not just be obviously a a top team in in the world, but also because, you know, they're hosting the World Cup, so they kind of want to give that good impression. Mm -hmm. But uh,
1: no, yeah, I think, yeah, 100%, they should definitely... something like that. So with that in mind, how much weight do you put on this Copa America coming to home soil? Because for me, I put a ton of weight on it. If we, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, 100%. We, we, I don't think yeah. there's, there's
2: nothing against that.
1: I'm not saying that we have to win it, but I, I think a deep run yeah. to semifinals or something like that when you're facing the top 10 teams in South America, you're going to have the top six teams in the in the in in North America, including you know yourself as one of them. I think you absolutely have to um, perform really, really well. You know, you've got to make an impression because going into that 2026 World Cup on home soil with that experience in your back pocket, I think, is massive. So um, so, you know, what remains to be seen who the next head coach will be at the U.S. men's national team and will there um, and what where where where, will that person take this team uh, to the next level? So let's table that conversation and let's get our guest in here, because we were joined earlier by Jack Grimsey, the head of social media for OS Studios. Uh, we got to talk about everything. We, we asked the Bielsa question. We got to talk about the Bundesliga, um, which, you know, was one of the original things we always talked to Jack about. His uh, beloved El- S- Aston Villa. Um, EMLS. We talked about the Serie A a little bit. Uh, so we had a, a great, great conversation. So without further ado, the Jack Grimsey interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, the head of social media from OS Studios, Jack Grimsey. Jack, welcome back to the show. It is always great to have you on, my friend. I want to start out, uh, you know, when we first met a long time ago, uh, we had you on as a German expert, and you, of course you still are. Looking at the race in Germany, this is definitely the tightest race of the top five leagues in Europe. You've got five teams at the top, all separated by five points. None of them at the moment are named Borussia Dortmund. Uh Bayern dropping points to Eintracht Frankfurt uh, on a week that Eintracht, you know, had a couple of big matches. You know, they they faced Bayern, they faced Freiburg midweek, which was also another uh, top five team. You know, drawing both of those matches. What are your thoughts on the way this race is shaping up, especially at the halfway point here of the German Bundesliga season?
0: Yeah, Joe. First and foremost, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure joining you and Roberto here on Low Limit Football and. It's it's a really exciting year in the Bundesliga, right? Like like you said, Frankfurt, they they had a couple of difficult matches. Luckily, they could ease into the week with the game against Schalke. I think everyone's looking forward to that fixture. But at the other end, at the top end of the Bundesliga, it is incredibly tight. Bayern, now they're on a run, I think, of, of three draws in a row in the league. They drew all three matches this week. And it seems like this is something that people kind of were, were talking about at the beginning of the season. How are they going to get by without Lewandowski? Um, And I think it's just like not having that killer instinct, not having that forward that is able to just get you a goal and turn a 1-1 into a 2-1, turn that draw into a win.
2: You know, it's it's very interesting. I wanted to keep on that. I mean, I guess like looking at this whole race, I mean, you, you know, which of the teams do you feel have kind of like surprised you the most? Because I think not a lot of people have expected, you know, the likes of bring Union Berlin to be in those races. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on which team you feel as if they'll kind of surprised you in the way that they've kind of went through their season so far.
0: Yeah, like you said Roberto, it's got to be Union Berlin still being in the hunt. Like early in the season they were able to keep pace. They had a couple couple of uh losses. They had a week where they lost two games and and drew the the third um in the league back in early November. And I'm surprised they've been able to keep pace, but the, they just came out of the blocks firing after after the winter break and I think that's uh, like they have this momentum and they're going to hope to to maintain it, I think also like you said, Freiburg a little bit, and to me, Frankfurt. Like Frankfurt, they had that amazing Europa League run. I kind of see them as a cup team, and they they didn't have the hottest start to the season, so I wasn't expecting that they could could keep up with it. But Randall Kolo Muani has been in just amazing form.
2: Yeah, He's been sensational so far. I wanted to switch gears obviously to your beloved Aston Villa because obviously the way that, I think the last time we spoke actually was right before the the sacking of Steven Gerrard and now here they are with Udu Naimri and you know it's kind of been a, a hot and cold I guess start of this, I guess his kind of term so far. I mean yeah they kind of they got out of the FA Cup, losing to Stevenage, But, you know, just out of looking at what's going on in the league, I think they've lost only once, and that was against Liverpool. Um, in this But they beat Manchester United, they beat teams like Tottenham, and, and, you know, they're still in this kind of race in a way. And it, it's kind of weird. Like, we aren't talking about, oh, what's going on between Arsenal and City. We're still talking about what's going on for top four. But, you know, looking at how the kind of the, the FA Cup and how the EFL Cup in, is, is in, Villa are still in the hunt for a for a European spot, it all goes well. So, you know, is, is that really the main goal so far? Because, you know, they're, they're keeping pace behind just Liverpool and Chelsea, who are, are a point above them. And then you have teams like Brentford, Fulham, and, and Brighton. So, you know, is it realistic to say that Villa can indeed challenge for a European spot? Or is that still something that maybe is still a bit out of reach for them?
0: Yeah, I think, like, the fact that there's only three points between 6th and 11th has to, has to keep the optimism. Like... Um, like you said, it's very it's very tight in between their Brighton, Fulham, Brentford, Liverpool and Chelsea and and then Villa. So uh, I think uh, like coming into the season, the goal was compete for that European place and make a run in the cup. Obviously, we've we've been dumped out of both cups under Emery, but the league form has been sensational.
2: Yeah, and, and obviously looking at some of the, the transfers as well that have been that they've made, and I think one here stateside that I think a lot of people are gonna be excited about for those that do follow MLS and the, the Premier League is obviously the transfer of Johan Duran, the, the young Colombian striker from the Chicago Fire. I think, you know, from what I've been able to see, what people have been telling me, I mean, this kid looks like a a decent enough talent, I think he's done well at at Chicago Fire, but you know, do you feel like if so, this is going to be someone that's kind of just going to be bred in like, you know, very softly because, you know, you still have players like, you know, Danny Ings and and many others that I mean, you know, well, obviously, <laughs> Danny Ings doesn't play anymore, but he still have goal score. But like looking at some of the, the the alternatives that are there, I mean, do you feel like this is someone that has to go into straight up or do you feel that maybe there still has to be time um, within him to to really get into into a starting role?
0: Yeah, uh, Roberto. I think uh, Jean Duran is gonna be a little like held a little closer. I don't expect him to go straight into the starting lineup. I think. Uh, I mean, maybe we can we can revisit this in a couple of days when the transfer window closes. But I think Villa are gonna look to still bring in someone as a short term or or someone um, as a stopgap before Duran is ready. Uh, I know like Musa Dembele has been mentioned from Lyon. He's had a contract in the summer, but might be available for a few million in January. But as as we saw last year, Villa, uh, like transfer policy wise, they're happy to wait for the right player rather than forcing someone in. And that's how we ended up signing Bubakar Kamara for free. And he's been such an amazing signing. Like I think he's he's one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. Yeah,
2: definitely. I think when you still have the likes of Ollie Watkins and, and, and Leon Bailey as well, they kind of have that kind of depth and, and be able to have that talent up front. So, no, I, I totally understand. And you kind of don't want to rush someone's development to that. And I just wanted to go. Yeah, and I mean,
0: like Duran was hot at the end of the MLS season, but Watkins right. is really the only senior striker in the team. Like Bailey, he's I see him more of a winger. He's playing up top, though, um, in this new system under Emery, but still like kind of a wide forward, not a not a real true number classic number nine.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually do want to switch gears to something that you've kind of been working on so far. It's kind of the, the e-tournament for the um, the EMLS because I think that's that's always been interesting. I think, you know, with gaming, like, we don't really talk about it a lot, but the EMLS Cup and then obviously, you know, tournaments like, you know, FIFA and all that. I mean, how have you seen kind of this development of really just, you know, gaming in, in terms of tournaments? And, you know, we've seen this so far in FIFA tournaments and whatnot. I mean, you know, the fact that MLS is kind of really gone into that is, is really in a way like maybe people don't understand it because maybe they're like saying oh it's just video games but it's it's very much an essential part to the growth of soccer in this country
0: yeah I think so I think like my my story personally is not um, an outlier I think it's similar to many people of how um, FIFA played a big part in my fanhood and, and developing my knowledge of the game and knowing about all these different teams and different leagues and all these players and and everything else, and in, in that sense, um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's something that is an entry point into the game for different people across the world, whether it be watching, uh, like say you're watching the Premier League somewhere, or say you're just playing uh, FIFA with with some of these teams, and you you discover these leagues, and and maybe you get more interested, you want to watch it or. Alternatively, if you're if you're just more into video games, you weren't paying attention to these leagues at all. It's it's an entry point for for those people to discover MLS in, in that capacity.
1: Jack, I wanted to jump in, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and go to uh, Italy for a second. Uh, especially wanted to look at AC Milan quickly. They uh, drop another result today, five two to Sassuolo uh, in uh, in league. It is the first time AC Milan have ever given up four goals or more in back-to-back games in their history. Uh, This is the defending champion. Find themselves provisionally 12 points out from Napoli at the time of this recording. Could be as far as 15 um, and only one point ahead in that uh, in, in that Champions League spot. We've seen that we've seen Inter actually uh, start out poorly against Cremonese on the weekend. Uh, we all know about the struggles at Juve, and uh, and it looks like Mons are going to put it on them again. Uh, where uh, Juve has never lost to uh, the back-to-back or to the um, the league series or the you know the season series uh, to a promoted side. They've never lost both games to a pr- promoted side in their history. There is so many moving parts, and Napoli just running away with it. What are your thoughts on? The the Serie A overall here and what's going on, especially with the Giants, uh, of the league.
0: Well it's Joe, it's changed so dramatically from January fourth when Inter beat Juve and Milan had, had just squeezed by Solar Natana and it like the gap was closing. There was gonna be a possibility for someone to make a run at Napoli, but now the end of January that has just completely gone out the window. Milan now they're I think they're gonna be happy to hold on for a champions league place. Like it's the table has just shifted so drastically. Um, what Milan were in in two cup competitions, and now they're they're out of also the I think the Super Cup and Copa Italia, right? That, right.
1: That's that right. they were
0: in at the at the start of the month, and yeah, they're I don't know, they just seem to be in complete free fall.
1: Yeah, and and you know even just uh, just watching the um, the broadcast earlier today. The um, with Juve, it almost looks like they're completely focused on uh, and trying to win the Copa Italia to get back into the European spots or European competitions that, uh, you know, there, there's almost no hope for them in league. So they're kind of playing the kids. Many people expected to see the return of Paul Pogba and, um, and Dusan Vlahovic today. Don't know if that's going to happen at the time of this recording, but um, it does not look very bright for Juve uh, moving forward here right now. I want to close, Jack, with one more question. I want to bring it back over to the United States. And I want to ask you about the rumors that, you know, Roberto and I have been talking about earlier, uh, the rumors that there is a link between El loco uh, Marcelo Bielsa and the U.S. men's national team. Now, there's been a ton of turmoil in the U.S. Uh, US soccer over the past week. We saw Brian McBride step down. We've seen um, Ernie Stewart go over to PSV Eindhoven as their technical director. And there's, there's a big void of, uh, of who's going to do that search, or who's going to perform that search for U.S. soccer for the next men's national team coach. I think all signals point to the fact that Greg Berhalter probably will not be retained at this point, seeing that the people that would have backed him are no longer there anymore. So what are your thoughts on, on Bielsa, especially given the way the team looked over the two friendly matches, um, the talent that we do have in the pool? Uh, do you think Bielsa is the right guy? Is there somebody else maybe that you'd want to see in that position? What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, good question, Joe. Like you said, I think burhalter is gonna is not gonna come back just because it, it seems like it's been a full cleaning of the house at, at U.S. Soccer. Um, Bielsa is interesting. I think like stylistically, he demands so much from his players, and the United States always has been a team that is going to be high energy and high effort. And to me, it's it could be a fit in in that sense. I'm not sure um, across the board it would be the best fit it's it seems like it could be a little bit of a risk but i i think bielsa is an amazing coach and i think it's just a risk because he doesn't seem to stay in jobs for for very long and you obviously want a coach that's going to stay through the whole cycle and through 2026 like it's one of the biggest if not the biggest coaching appointment ever for u.s soccer Mm -hmm. um but i i think it's very exciting and the fact that there are a lot of these big names being mentioned like Zidane was even apparently offered but turned down the job. Like Just the fact that those kind of names are being mentioned is very exciting.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you, too. And I think you're 100% spot on when you say that this is probably the most important appointment of a U.S. soccer manager in the in the country's history. Um, this is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the U S golden age of soccer with all the players we've got. And we're at the beginning of that, uh, of that journey. So I think this particular head coach becomes, you know, ultra important both for hosting the world cup in 26, uh, and beyond that. So, um, Jack, before we let you go, this is usually where I have, um, our guest plug their stuff, but I want to, I want to put in a plug for you because your content on Instagram has been absolutely top-notch, um, whether it be talking about soccer kits or just walking around the city and what you see. Um, it's been fantastic. So definitely go follow Jack Grimsey on Instagram. I'm going to tell everybody, but where else can everybody find your work?
0: Yeah, thanks, Joe. I really do appreciate that. It's great seeing you uh, liking, commenting on, on the content, and, and thanks for the plug. Um, yeah, so all my, all my video content, I post it pretty much everywhere. So on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, wherever you're active on those platforms, I'm also there. So yeah, really appreciate that Joe, And, and thanks so much.
1: Uh, Hey, you're the head of social media. You've got to be good at it, I guess. Right. (laughs) So uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, right. I was like, I gotta, gotta use some of these skills, put them in into work on my own channels too.
1: There you go. So again, Jack, thanks for joining us on the show. Always the best and look forward to hanging out with you soon, my friend.
0: Thanks Joe. Thanks Roberto. Yeah. Come down to the football factory and we'll meet up soon.
1: And special thanks again to Jack Grimsey for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got a kind of a spread out week this week. We've got some midweek matches, uh, a full slate of, of matches in Ligon as well as um, midweek matches all over the place. So let's kick off the week with Wednesday matches where we see Real Batiste uh, host first place Barcelona in La Liga, 3 p.m. there. And we'll also look at France because second place Lens host Nice uh, in a in a top uh, six battle. If I remember correctly, that match is also at 3 p.m. Then we fast forward to Saturday, Brucia Dortmund. Do they stick their nose in this uh, in this title race? I mean, I think they're really there, but they're going to have to do it hosting Freiburg uh, at 9:30 a.m. Then on Sunday, the the heavyweight matches. I think, in my opinion. We've got Tottenham Hotspur and Man City at 11.30 a.m. Can City keep pace with Arsenal? We're going to have to see if that's going to be the case. And we're going to close with the Milan Derby. Inter Milan, AC Milan, um you know, Given what Napoli has done, this is certainly uh, quite a bit of pride as well as Champions League spots on the line here with the tight race from 2nd to 7th in Serie A. That will close our week out at 2.45 p.m. Check your local listings for other matches and times in your area. So let's talk about the, uh, the trivia question, my friend. You gave us a great one, and uh, if you wouldn't mind putting it back on us again.
2: Yes, absolutely. So obviously what we saw uh, last night in the... Um in the USA against Colombia, we saw the latest set of brothers to appear um, for the U.S. national team with Paxson Aaronson making his first ever debut not long after uh, Brendan has been playing so far for the mm-hmm. national team. So this has been the latest set of brothers to appear for the U.S. national team. How many times has this happened in its history?
1: So uh I, I heard this last night on the broadcast, if I remember the number correctly. I didn't go back and look to see the names of the brothers, and I don't know if you have it or not, but uh I think the number they put in the broadcast was eight.
2: You are correct. It is the late it is the eighth set of brothers to appear for the US National Team. Yes. I don't have the list in front of me, actually. Yeah, <laughs> That's I, one of the things I want to do to look at, but I'm sure I can find it very quickly, but yeah, eight, eight different set of brothers have represented the, the United States national team, uh, in their history. So yeah. that's a, that's a really good thing. Actually, yeah, we got the names right here. Oh. So it's Brendan Paxton Aronson, mm-hmm. Pedro and John Debrito, Otto and Rolf Decker, Angelo and Paul D. Bernardo, Charlie and Henry McCully, George and Louis Nanchoff, Ken and Steve Snow, and Archie and Tom Stark.
1: The Debrito one, um, that that name really, really, really sounds familiar to me. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's a Connecticut tie to it, um, because I, I do I do remember something about that. But great question though, and and I'm glad you had the names. That was fantastic. So, um, without anything left on the plan, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So, for episode 378 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Jack Grimsey for joining us on the show. Next week, we will go back and take a look at that German Bundesliga race to see if it's even tighter than the week before. We'll see what happens in the Serie A as well. And can Arsenal hold on to their top spot and take it all the way to the finish line in England? We'll ask that question as well. So, for episode 378 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe usello I'm Rudolf. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.